Amen. <laughs> Can we give God some praise for this amazing, amazing worship team, man? Y'all are awesome. I just started to say, just keep singing for another 30 minutes. Well, listen, if you are uh, with us for the first time, we want to welcome you to Tri-Cities Church. I'm Lamar. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to kind of just bring you in into a series. This is week four. And so if you have just joined us for the first time and there are great places to worship and we understand that, but we are excited that you chose us. But you're kind of in the middle of the movie. And so if if you haven't been here, I would encourage you to go into iTunes and go into the, the podcast and you can search Tri-Cities Church. You can find the podcast and catch up on what we've been talking about because we are in week four of a series called Chase the Lion. Now, this is a series, once again, based on a book from Pastor Mark Batterson. Uh, and so I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Many of you have told me that you're reading the book and you're halfway done. And so uh, thank you for that. Now, before we get started, uh, I have a book to give away. So this time... No, no, see, here's what I did. I, I, like last week, I stuck a sheet of paper under the chair and it says, chase the line. I stuck it closer to the front so you don't have to put your shoulder out of joint trying to reach back there. But if you just reach under your seat or the seat next to you, if it's empty, and there should be a sheet of paper, open it up, it says, chase the line, and you can come get your book. All right, come down here. You all right. <laughs> I did better this week because last week some of y'all broke your elbows and all right, so we are in week four of Chase the Lion. Uh and so th- today I kind of want to do this a little bit different. I want to do it deductively. So I want to try to maybe depart just a little bit from uh, his book, I want to use a statement that he makes to jump off on a point that I want us to anchor ourselves in. And I just want to kind of, I don't, I'm not the type of pastor that tells you, all right, here's four things that's going to make your life better. But there are some observations that I found and what we're going to talk about today that I think will help us as we start to get a little bit more practical about chasing this dream. So if you haven't been here, Chasing the Lion is about a story about a man named Benaiah, who was one of David's mighty men. And so if you read in 2 Samuel and even in Chronicles, David had 30 men that were mighty warriors. And then amongst those 30, there were three who were the top And Benaiah was the guy that Samuel writes about that chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And so here's kind of the premise of the entire series, that there are some things that we should do that should scare us just a little bit if God's not involved. That you should dream a dream that is so big, that is so large, that you know that it is beyond you to accomplish, that whatever it is that God has placed in your heart, you know that it's destined to fail without divine intervention. I love the bumper this morning because it, it challenges us to do this, to stop living like the point of life is to arrive safely at your death. And I said this a couple of weeks ago that many of us, if the truth be told, you don't have to raise your hand, many of us, we are existing but we're not really living. And some of us have resolved that the whole point of this life is to arrive safely at our death, but I think that's a challenge for us to take on as we chase down not just our own personal lines, but the lines that God is calling us to chase as a community of faith. And so we want to jump right back into 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8, 
And here's what it says. I'm going to read the New Living, and then I want to just pick up on a phrase from the NIV. It says this. You're probably familiar with this by now. We've been on this for three weeks. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jehoabim, the Hickmanite. I think we agreed last week we just called him Jay Boogie. And he was the leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. And he once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. The NIV translation says something that's important. It says that he raised his spear and he beat 800 men in one encounter. That has you thinking. In one encounter. In one moment. That there are a series of moments in our life that that I think that if we really look at that, that there are moments in our life that God places before us that we can capitalize and generate momentum and generate energy if we're ready for the moment. And so I think this morning we want to talk just a little bit about uh, what Batterson calls the ripple effect, understanding the importance of one encounter, of one moment. This is what Batterson says in his book. He says, sometimes the seeds of our dreams don't germinate for months or of years or decades. But if we plant and water, God will give the increase in due time. In other words, I said this a couple of weeks ago that I've taught this to young people uh, as I was a youth pastor, young adult pastor for years, that every single day of your life that you wake up, you will have at least three decisions that can change the course of your life. The problem is you don't always know which three those are. And so we have to, if we're going to be lion chasing, God-sized dreaming people, be ready for the moment. In one encounter, it says Jehoshaphat created a historical story through what God did with him. In one moment. Can you imagine that the next moment that you decide to pray, the next moment that you decide to be generous, or the next moment you decide to have a random act of kindness, what would happen in that one encounter if that's the moment that God decided to use to change the course of history? In one encounter. And, and let's be honest, we only have one verse about one guy who used one spear, and that story is now lasting forever. One man, one spear, one verse about his life in one encounter. And I'm willing to bet that if we learn how to maximize the moment, we also can have a ripple effect that one prayer, one decision, one act of generosity could be the moment that changes your story. I love what Batterson goes on to say in his book. He says that mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure, but well-managed failure is the leading cause of success. Here's what I think he means. What am I going to do with my moment? What will I do with that one encounter? Forget about, we said last week, forget about just chasing after the results or the outcome. What am I going to put into it? What am I going to decide to do with this one encounter, with this one moment, with this one prayer, with this one act of generosity? Am I going to do it like this might be the time that God uses to bless me? And I'm willing to bet that if I approach every single encounter, every single moment with the same passion and the intensity that this might be the time, then you'll have enough energy to continue to chase your dreams. You know what I discovered? Most of us stop chasing our dreams because we get tired, because we think about all of the stuff that has to happen. But the text says he put everything he had on the line in that one encounter. What if I challenged us this morning to decide 
to use every single moment, every single second, every single opportunity like it was going to be your last time? Would you do it with everything that you had? Would you be willing to take the risk? Would you be willing to defy the odds if you knew that this one encounter might be the one that will change your life forever? He says that the, the issue is that we got to learn how to manage even our failures and, and learn how to maximize the moment. And so can I say this? When you have a big dream, every moment matters. No days off. Every time I pray, I'm praying like I believe that God is going to answer this prayer. Every time I give, I'm believing that God is going to use that to bless somebody's life. I'm not worried about the amount. I'm not worried about the person. Every time I do something for God, I do it with my fullest because this might be the moment. When you get out on your knees, pray like you believe that this prayer is going to be answered when I get up. When I come to church every week, I'm believing that something's going to happen in the song or the message or a conversation with someone that this might be the one encounter that will give me the answer I've been looking for. And it says that Jay Boogie in one encounter did something that lasted forever. The only reason you even know who he is is because he sees the moment. And so Batterson talks about uh, we talked about this on week one at the end of the message. He says that in the end of your life, God's not going to say well thought. He's not going to say, man, you had a lot of great ideas and the great thoughts. He says that in the end, God is looking to say, well done. Did you maximize the life that I gave you? Did you go after audacious dreams? Are you willing to live in the moment? Can I just say this? This is not even in my notes. Some of us miss what God is doing because we're not ready for the moment. I'm worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Remember Jesus said about the birds and the ladies of the field? He says tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Live for God today. Use the moment you have right now to maximize what God has given you. And so he gave us uh, he gave us a story in Matthew, so I'm not going to read all of it because most of us have heard it before. It's the parable of the three servants or the talents. And he says that basically, uh, if you look at that story, you understand that in the end, God is going to look for us to do something with what he gave us. And so I want to just kind of work through that story. And maybe that's a story that will help us to understand how to overcome perhaps what may be some of our fears about doing something with what God gave us. You remember the last servant. He says that the reason why I didn't do anything, the reason why I didn't maximize this moment is because I was afraid. And I'm willing to bet, you don't have to raise your hand, that many of us fail to live in the moments that God is presenting us with. We fail to seize opportunities because we're a little bit like this last servant. We become afraid. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a lot of verses, but let me just tell the story again. You remember the story of the guy who was a master. He was a, a landowner. Uh, he was a business owner. And so he decided to go away on a trip. And Jesus is telling this story to a bunch of people to kind of help them to understand what is God looking for. So you remember, he tells this parable in the middle of three other stories, one about uh, virgins and them being ready. And he talks about in the end, God's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And so here's what I like to think that Jesus is doing, that he's pointing to the idea that the mission is as much about the conclusion of life as it is the quality of your life. Grandma used to say it like this. She said, don't be so heavenly bound that you ain't no earthly good. 
In other words, while God is absolutely concerned with the conclusion of your life, and if you're not a follower of Christ, I encourage you to make that decision today. God is encouraged, he is, he's concerned about the conclusion of your life. But when Jesus tells this story, I think he's pointing to the fact that he's not just concerned about the conclusion of your life, he's also concerned about the quality of your life. Yes, heaven is good. I'm not in a rush to get there. But what am I going to do with what God gave me here. I love how David says that, he says in Psalms, he says, I would have given up unless I believed that the Lord would bless me in the land of the living. You know what he's saying? I know heaven is good, but the only reason I wake up every morning is I believe that on this side of heaven, God is still present, God is still working, God is still active, and the thing that motivates me is is that I can get up and see that God is still present in this world. He says, I believe that on this side of heaven, God is still working. What am I going to do with the moments that he gives me? And the servant uh, in this story, remember the last guy, he does, he does nothing. So, so the, the master of the story says that the master, he, he gives away uh, what the Bible calls talents. Now understand that these are not, it's not, um, it's not an amount of money, it's not a quantity of money, it's a measure of money. And in this story, Jesus uses what's called hyperbole. All my English teachers know that he, he kind of exaggerates some things just to make a point. So he says the first guy, he gets the equivalent of 100 years worth of wages. Five bags or five bags of talents is equivalent to 100 years of wages. He says he gives the second guy two bags. That's equivalent to about 40 years worth of wages. And then he gave the last guy just one bag. but that's still equivalent to about 20 years worth of wages. And, and the master exorbitantly gives the servants, watch this, wages that they haven't earned yet. Okay, some of y'all just missed that. Uh, there's this story. Uh, there's a story of a kid, and he was doing well. Uh, he wasn't doing so well in math. And so his mother heard about this Christian school down the road that all the kids who went there, they started doing good in math. It was just like a miracle. And so finally, after he struggled, she decided, I'm going to sign him up in this school. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. These kids are learning math. And so she, she signed him up, and, and after nine weeks of him being there, she noticed that his grades went from a D to an A, just nine weeks. And so she asked him, uh, son, what is it that they're doing at this school that has helped you go from getting Ds to As? And he said, oh, it was easy, Mom. When, when I walked the halls and I saw uh, all over the halls that had pictures and statues of a guy hanging on a plus sign, I knew they were serious about math. Some of y'all just missed it. Some of y'all just missed it. In other words, when you understand the relationship that you have with Jesus. Okay, let me go back to the story because Jesus is telling this story and he's telling them that the master gave them wages that they didn't earn. That's a good place right there if you'd like to shout. In other words, he's saying that God's grace is more than you can ever deserve. And the reason why you should maximize the moment is because he's giving you stuff that you didn't earn. Can we just take a 30-second praise break to understand that God has given me more that I can ever work for, that he's given me more than I have ever earned. Jesus says, this is the love of a master. He gives you stuff that you don't earn. And when you understand the relationship that you have with Jesus, 
when he hung on that cross? Doesn't it motivate you? If I really think about what he did so that I could get something that I didn't earn, it motivates me to do something with what he gave me. Jesus says that the master gave them this exorbitant amount of money. Then it says that he goes away for a long time. When Jesus is telling this story, a long time is equal to a lifetime. And the people who are listening to it, 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 a lot of it doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but the people who were listening, Jesus' original audience, they heard that this master gave away all these wages, and they're thinking, that's not even good business principles. Who does that? Who gives away stuff that people don't earn? Jesus is trying to get you to understand that in order for you to have uh, some courage, the first thing that you got to understand, watch this, is that you've got to anchor your dreams and your motivation on a relationship. See, the last servant, the reason why he was afraid, I don't know if you caught it. Remember when he says, I was afraid that you are a hard master? And the reason why I didn't do anything with it because I knew that you harvested where you didn't plant. And he says all of this ridiculous stuff. Can I just say this? Nowhere in the story is there any indication that the master was hard. Just sit with that for a second. Maybe some of the reason why I'm afraid to chase the things that God has placed in my heart, watch this, is because I have to reevaluate my view of God. He said, the reason why I didn't do it is because I was afraid of you. And I'm asking, okay, he just gave you even only one bag was worth 20 years worth of wages. You got 20 years worth of wages that you didn't work for and you didn't earn. Please help me to understand where you got the idea that God hates you. Okay, can I free somebody this morning? Because maybe some of you grew up in a church where you didn't feel good about yourself unless the preacher made you feel like God didn't love you. But can I just tell you that God loves you unequivocally. There is nothing that you can do that will make God stop loving you. That's what grace is. And when I understand that I can never mess up to the point where God doesn't love me and I change my perception of God, it motivates me to do something with what he gave me. My fears are extinguished when I get the right perception of God. Nowhere in your story. Come on, can we just be honest? I don't know all your story, but can I just just bowl down your lane this morning? There's been no time in your life where God has not proven that he's good. In all your struggles and all your difficulties, I'm not making light of what you've been through, but come on, let's be real. If you just go back over your life, there is no reason for you to ever be afraid of living your life for God. He has given you more than you deserve. And he says that this guy, the reason why he was afraid is because he didn't have a proper understanding of the relationship. Okay, so if, if, if we're going to be motivated to live in the moments that God presents us with, can I just tell you the first thing is we got to be motivated by the relationship, not the results. I do it because God is good. Whether it works or not, I always tell people the challenge of real courage. You've heard people say this before. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? You ever heard anybody ask you that question? If you knew you couldn't fail at something, what would you try? You know what I think real faith is? What would I do for God even if I had no guarantee that it would work? 
Because I'm not focused on the results, I'm motivated by the relationship. The master has blessed me with more than I deserve. And even if it doesn't work out, I'm still willing to do it despite the results because of my relationship. God has been too good, watch this, for you to sit on your blessed assurance and not do something that he's given you. Some of y'all will catch that on Tuesday. He says, don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. There's nothing in your story that indicates that God is not good. And maybe some of us, the first step to being a lion chaser and getting over our fears is to go back and untangle some of the unnecessary ideas and thoughts that people have planted in your head about who God is. God is not some angry old man with a beard sitting on a chair waiting to zap you every time you do something wrong. Jesus says that the master gave them more than they deserve. The first thing is you gotta, we got to get our relationship right. I'm convinced that most of the reasons why I don't do stuff with God is because somewhere along the way, my view of him got distorted. But, but not only do we have to focus on the right relationship with God, if you're going to be a lion chaser, you got to focus also on building relationships with other folks. What are you talking about? It always intrigued me that the man with the one never went and asked the other two, what are you doing? How are you making this money flip like that? Okay, some of us need to understand that there are some things that God has called you to do that's going to require you to hook up with some other folks who know how to do what he's calling you to do. It, 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 always, it was always interesting to me that he never asked to be in a relationship with the folks who were doing what he should have been doing. Okay, so here's what I was taught and here's how I was trained. You gotta have three critical relationships. You should always have somebody who's beside you. So, somebody who's, who's equal, somebody who's doing what you're doing, have a great relationship with that person. But then if, you, if you're ambitious, if you're a lion chaser, you should always have somebody who's ahead of you. Somebody who's doing what you wanna do one day. And then because you're responsible, you should always have somebody behind you, somebody that you're looking to bring along to where you are. And, and the thing about this guy is he had access to people who knew how to get the job done. He just didn't have a relationship with them. Can, can I suggest this? Some of us, the reason why our dreams haven't materialized yet is because we've been trying to do it in isolation. That God created the church and he created community for a reason. The very first thing that he said on day six, after saying everything was good, is he looked at Adam and said, this ain't cool. I need him to have somebody to hook up with who can fulfill this dream that I have. Can I just tell you, I remember I said I just want to be practical. Find some people in your life who are doing what you say you want to do and ask them to mentor you. Build a relationship. Find somebody who's alongside you and ask them to walk with you. And then find somebody who's behind you and be responsible for mentoring them and bringing them along. I've always been disturbed by the fact that this guy never built a relationship with the master and he didn't build a relationship with the other servants. 
Number one, you got to understand the power of relationships. If you want to maximize that one encounter, maximize relationships. Number two, and I'm going to I'm going to warn you, this is going to be challenging for some of y'all. Not just relationships, but you got to respect time. I'm talking to you. Just look straight ahead. Nobody going to know I'm talking to you. <laughs> There's a story about uh, Hank Aaron and Yogi Berra. So Yogi Berra was a catcher, I believe, for the, for the Yankees. Uh, and Yogi Berra was known for running his mouth. Like every time you would come up the bat, he would try to distract you. And so one day the story says, I don't know if this is true or not, but let's not let facts get in the way of a good story. Anyway. <laughs> So, so, so apparently, uh, Hank Aaron goes to, to bat, and Yogi Bear is telling him, he says, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. First pitch goes by, uh, Hank Aaron just lets it go. He, he says, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. You should be able to read the logo. You need to flip it around. Hank, you're holding it wrong. Second pitch goes by. Hank says nothing to Yogi Bear. Third pitch, pitcher winds up, sends it across the plate. Hank Aaron leans back, cracks that sucker deep in the left field home run. He rounds first and second and third. He comes home and he touches home plate. He looks at Yogi Bear and says, I didn't come here to read. Some of y'all just missed that. (laughs) Here's my question. Here's my question. God put you here. What are you here to do? Because the lifetime in the story, the long time is a lifetime. You got only so many days to do what God has called you to do on this earth. Don't get distracted. What are you here to do? And the problem with the second servant is he didn't take advantage of this opportunity of a lifetime. So can I just say this? Opportunities of a lifetime don't last for a lifetime. We got to learn how to respect the time that God has given us to do what God has called us to do. I've said this to people before, and this is going to blow your mind. It is not right to not do what is right to do right now. You don't have to write that down because I know it's confusing you. (laughs) Let, Let me say it again. It is not right to not do what is right to do right now. So can I ask you a question? What are you waiting on? Opportunities of a lifetime don't last a lifetime. Don't waste your opportunities that God has given you. Can I just say this to you? Procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes you another chance to do tomorrow what you should have done today. I'm just going to let that marinate. Because how many of us, watch this, we, we, try, to, we try to mask procrastination, watch this, as patience. You know how we, I don't know if you knew this, but, but when the servant told the, the master that he was afraid, what he was trying to do was spiritualize his reason, right? When he said he was afraid, the word he's using there was, I was so reverent of you that I decided not to mess up. And so rather than mess up, I, I rather respect you. And the master was like, you're wicked and lazy. <laughs> Did you notice his response? Because he tried to mask reverence or he was trying to mask procrastination as patience and reverence okay now i'm just gonna bowl down your lane i'm gonna drive up in your driveway sit on your front porch and drink all your (laughs) kool-aid 
How many of us don't do what God asks us to do and try to spiritualize it as if somehow we're doing God a favor? I'm just going to let that sit. I told you I'm just going to be practical. Think about it. How much stuff should I have done? And I use spiritual reasons. Okay, some of y'all look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Here's the number one Christian spade card. I'm praying about it. (laughs) Well, I'm still praying. Can I just tell you, prayer is good. Pray. But can I just be honest with you? There's some stuff that you don't have to pray about because what the master wanted the servants to do was implied in the relationship. There's some stuff that you ought to do just because you follow Jesus. There's some things that you ought to do just because you say you're a follower of Christ. You don't have to pray about all the things that God wants you to do. There's some stuff that's implied in the relationship. Maybe we need to have more respect for the time that God has given us. I'll say this again, procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes me another chance to do tomorrow what I should have done today. When I don't do what God asked me to do right now, I'm saying, God, you owe me another chance. But wait a minute. Didn't I already give you 100 years worth of wages? 40 years worth of wages? And then you have, watch this, the audacity to tell me I owe you something when I've already given you more than you could ever earn in your lifetime. That's the beauty of grace. That's why I love it being one of our values here. It's the beauty of grace. It motivates me to do the right thing because I already have stuff that I didn't earn. So if God never does anything else for me, I'm motivated to live my life for him. Even if he doesn't ever bless me again, he's blessed me enough. And there is no reason for me not to do what God, don't be afraid. It's not just responsibility of, of relationships and respecting time, but we also have to be resourceful. The master... He, he held this guy to the bare minimum. I love that, that Jay Boogie, let's go back to that story. The, 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 the writer of 2 Samuel says all he had was one spear. All this servant had was one bag. And some of us are waiting on God to give us more. And he's saying do with what you have. Those who are faithful over a few things, Jesus says he'll make you the ruler over many things. One man, one spear took on 800 people. Can I just tell you, we got to learn when we're chasing our dreams to be more resourceful. Can I just say this? Most of us wildly overestimate what we would do with what we don't have. And we totally underestimate what we could do with what we do have. Okay, let me say that again. Most of us grossly overestimate what we would do with stuff we don't even have. You know what I'm talking about. When I get more money, when I get more time, when I get in this relationship, when God gives me a chance, and I'm overestimating what I could accomplish with what I don't have, and I'm underestimating what I could accomplish with what God already gave me. Be resourceful. One man, one spear, one bag. God says, get it done. When you are a lion chaser, 
You use whatever God has given you. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Because you grew up on government cheese like I did. You grew up, you know, you know, grandmama knew how to take some scraps and put it in a pot and feed 12 people because they came from a generation that you use whatever you had to get the job done. One man, one spear, one bag got the job done. Got to learn to be more resourceful. Malcolm Gladwell says this in his book. He says, extraordinary achievement is less about talent than it is about opportunity. In other words, it's less about what you do have, and it's more about what you do with the moment and the encounters that God gives you. What do I have to use? How can I be more resourceful? Here's the last thing, and then we'll roll out. We've got to learn how to reduce regret. See, I can't teach you how to reduce the odds. I can't teach you how to reduce obstacles. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. I wish I was good enough to preach you out of your obstacles. Nobody's that good. But what I can teach you is how to reduce the amount of regret you will have. What are you saying? When, when, when Jay Boogie stood in front of those 800 men, you would think that his ultimate concern would be, am I going to come out of this alive if I fight? But here's how you reduce the amount of regret. You ask yourself this critical question. Not am I going to come out alive if I go after this. Here's the question I want you to ask. If I walk away without trying, will I be able to live with myself? You see the flipping mindset? Because most of us worry about, am I going to survive this if I try? Here's what I want you to ask yourself. If I don't do it, will I be able to live with myself? If I don't use the one spear, if I don't use the one bag to do what God has called me to do, if I don't maximize this one encounter, if I don't live for this moment that God has placed in front of me, if I walk away without trying to go after this God-sized, God-honoring dream, will I be able to live with myself knowing I didn't even try? And whether you succeed or not, you can reduce your regret by saying there's some stuff that I'm not going to walk away from because if I do, I won't be able to live with myself. I believe that's why he stood in front of those 800 and says, yeah, they might kill me, but if I don't fight and I run away scared, I'll never be able to live with myself. See, the master says this, and then I'm done. He says that he told the, the two servants, you get the last guy, give it to the guy with the tin, and then he told the rest of the servants, throw him out into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, many of us have thought, that's kind of harsh, he threw him to hell. Can I just say, relax, it's a story. Jesus is just telling a story. <laughs> right? Really, what he's saying is, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, watch this, is a place of eternal frustration of eternal regret for what he didn't do with what God gave him. It is a place where he constantly has to live with the fact that I didn't do what I could have done in the moment that I had, and now that moment has closed. Opportunities of a lifetime don't last for a lifetime. So let me leave you with this. When you choose to do nothing with the something he gave you, there is no one or no thing that can save you. That's what the weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is that I can't save you from the lifetime of regret that you will have if you don't do what God asks you to do. Nobody can save you from that. 
You will have to live for the rest of your life knowing that you didn't do what God asked you to do. And nobody, yeah, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah, there'll be, you'll go, you know, when, when you're a follower of Christ, we know that. But he says on this side of heaven, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, if you don't do what I place in your heart, you're going to have to live with that. And I can't save you from that. If you don't do what you should do, no one can save you from that. So as we prepare to, to take communion, did you get anything out of that? Can we give God some praise? As we prepare to, to take communion, I want us to, as always, reflect on the fact that Jesus had a choice to make too. I, I heard someone say one time that uh, they asked me, um, how, is, how do we know that Jesus is the only way? You've heard people ask that question, right? And, and I said, you know who else had that question momentarily? Jesus. When he said, Father, if there's any other way to get this done, let's talk about that because right, it's getting hot. I don't really want to die. But then he, he made a choice. He says, but your will be done, not mine. God, I understand that you have a grand dream for this world to save them from their sins. And even though in my moment of humanity, I'm a little bit fearful like that last servant, he decided to chase this lion called sin. And to say, you know what, God, there's nothing about our relationship that should cause me to be afraid of doing your will. And so as we approach the tables, just remember there's opportunities to give. Um, You can scan the QR code, you can uh, give online, but then let's also celebrate um, an opportunity to celebrate what God gave to us. And so as we prepare, I'm going to pray, and then we will open up an opportunity for you to come and give and to celebrate what God gave. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for how you blessed us. And so, God, I thank you for this moment where we can celebrate your goodness, celebrate the courage of Jesus, and then also bless you with our time of giving. So, God, I pray right now that you would make this moment for us holy, that you would help us to use this moment to ignite our faith, to do all the things that you have called us to do, not our will, but your will be done. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may come.